Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Nev Lapwood, grew up in New Zealand. He has an incredible passion for snowboarding to the extent that after finishing university, he chased what he called an endless winter between Canada and New Zealand, snowboarding 200 plus days a year. And in 2007, Nev started his business, Snowboard Addiction, which was to support his snowboard addiction. He started with a few PDF manuals and some low quality videos teaching people how to snowboard through the internet, which was quite ahead of its time in 2007. The content and the quality over the years rapidly expanded to reach snowboarders around the world. Through coaching and producing tutorials, he found the need for snowboard training equipment, of course, to bridge the gap between training, watching tutorials at home, and putting tricks down on snow. Today, 12 years later of growth and progression, Snowboard Addiction is the world leader in snowboard training equipment and snowboard tutorials. Being an online-based business, Snowboard Addiction has been able to scale the business with a very small team of staff and reach customers globally. Love that. They now also produce ski training equipment under the name Ski Addiction. Now, Nev lives in Whistler. What better place to live than Whistler, British Columbia, Canada, with his wife, Bex, and their two mini snowboarders, Bryn and Jax. He is the CEO of Snowboard Addiction and Ski Addiction and snowboards every powder day. That's what drives him. He continues to star in most of the tutorials, which are watched by literally millions of snowboarders worldwide. And in addition to snowboard addiction, he's an avid investor with interests in real estate, which we're going to talk about, restaurants and other businesses, and the stock market. Nev is a longtime Rain member. Happy to have him on the show. Listen in. Nev Lapwood, 
Welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So great to have you on the show, my friend. Thank you very much, Patrick. Glad to be here. Now, uh, you talk funny. Where are you from? I grew up in New Zealand. That's the uh, the funny accent. <laughs> so you're a Kiwi. Yeah, but most people pick me as an Australian. Yeah, I know that. That's why I asked. And I know that you're Kiwi, by the way, I'm just asking that question. I live up in Whistler, and um, there's a lot of Australians up here in Whistler. Yes. And so uh, every time someone hears my accent, they think I'm Australian, but everybody thinks I get offended by that. I guess some people do, but it doesn't offend me. It doesn't offend you. It doesn't matter. No. Now, okay, no. so let's just talk about that quickly. You know, who's, whose accent is really kind of cooler? Is it is it New Zealand or Aussie? Like, you know, it's pretty fine line. Like, you know, it's, I mean, you would pick it out. You would go, are you kidding me right now? I'm not Aussie. There's no way I'm Aussie. You hear the, you know, it's a big differentiation for you, but. Well, I definitely prefer the New Zealand accent, but I guess that's because what I'm used to. Yeah. Um, but I do have a funny story about that. Is I um so I grew up in New Zealand and I've been living in Canada for 15 years now. But I met my wife in Canada, who's also a New Zealander. And uh the funny thing about that is she's from the same town I grew up in, but I kind of put it down to I don't get sick of her accent because it's exactly <laughs> the same as mine. Now, did you know her before you came to Canada? I mean, nope, what's the I chances? Met her in a nightclub in Whistler. No kidding. I mean, that's pretty funny because I mean, there's there it is right there. Like attracts like. You come from the yeah. same town in New Zealand, and you meet in the same town in Canada, and uh, and it's a small town. Like and it's a small town. town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of cool. So yeah, it's funny. But I mean, yeah, coming down to the accent. Uh, I'm never going to get sick of her accent because she sounds exactly the same as me. <laughs> that's perfect. You don't even hear it anymore. Or you never heard it. The funny thing about that in Canada is that um, New Zealand has all like little bits of weird slang, but we never know about the slang because it's both normal to us. So other people think we're using weird words, but it's not weird to either of us. Because <laughs> you understand the language. That's funny. That is really so, good. Hey, well, yeah. listen, uh, so we now know you're from New Zealand. We now know that you met your wife, Bex, in Whistler. You're a longtime RAIN member, which we're going to talk a little bit about or a lot about whatever we decide to do because we never know where these conversations are going to go. But you're a cool cat. Like you're, you, you've got a lot of cool stuff going on. And um, tell me when somebody asks you these days what you do, you know, what do you do for a living? What's your answer to that question? Uh, my answer is that I have a snowboard company um, and we produce snowboard training equipment for snowboarders to practice on year-round. And what's really outstanding about that, I mean, you're a, a young man. You're, uh, you came from New Zealand to, because you wanted to snowboard. Is that, is that correct? That is correct, yes. I am. So I grew up in New Zealand, and snowboarding was my number one passion, amongst a lot of other things. So uh, after I finished university in, in New Zealand, I basically just packed up ship and moved over here. Well, I actually went back and forth for about six years between Canada and New Zealand, basically snowboarding as much as I could. And then eventually just set up roots and decided that Canada is a better spot for snowboarding than New Zealand. What did you go to university? What did you do in university? I did a BCom uh, in marketing. Okay. Well, okay. That's interesting because you're actually, you're putting that talent to work in your existing business. You actually are one of those rare individuals that took your, your degree and, and, and actually are using it. You know, you're the, true. <laughs> it is, it's, it's somewhat true. It's somewhat, somewhat true. true. It's somewhat true. Because the predominant thing we do in the business is marketing for sure. But I feel like most of the stuff I learned in university at marketing is pretty irrelevant. It's old school. Oh, and I definitely feel like I fell asleep in almost every lecture in university. Well, that's because you were out snowboarding the day before for until the wee hours of the morning. 
Well, I did move to one university in New Zealand that was closest to one of the major ski fields on purpose. <laughs> it's interesting that, okay, so because, you know, as I've, as I've observed you, you know, over the years that you've been part of the rain community and, and, and certainly where you've participated, I mean, you're, you're a smart dude, you're pretty focused. And I want to go back a little bit. Where the hell did that come from? I mean, you know, I always in the context, always I remind listeners is that, you know, seemingly ordinary achieving extraordinary and you're a chill guy, you're a snowboarder, you know, you wear the cool hat, you wear the cool clothes. I mean, there's nothing that there's no standout of Nev other than you're just in your coolness as a snowboarder. But let's go back to what got you on, you know, how did you travel this journey? Because you've been incredibly successful and we've got some, you've, I know you've got a couple stories you want to share about where you are, which I think is remarkable, to be honest with you. But let's go back, you know, tell me a little bit about your history in New Zealand, born and raised in New Zealand. Yep. And where do you get all this passion for number one, snowboarding, number two, business? And how did you decide that you could put these two things together to create this amazing life in Whistler, Canada, one of the most beautiful places on the planet? So I grew up in a little town, it's called New Plymouth, which is on the west coast of the North Island of New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And we have one little volcano that is open for skiing and snowboarding probably about 40 to 50 days a year. So a very, very small ski resort with uh, with not a lot of um, very bad weather and very bad snow conditions. In fact, I want to tell you about a couple of the lifts on this resort. So it basically has what's called a rope toe and a T-bar. Sure. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with what that is. You bet. All well, the other listeners. But a rope toe is basically a rope that you grab onto that pulls you up the mountain. Yep. Now, the, the lift, this resort called uh, Mount Egmont, or Mount Egmont's the mountain, is, uh, it has a rope toe that is so steep and so long that you actually have to wear a harness and have a metal contraption that you fling around the rope to hold onto to drag you up the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... This is, uh, you know, it's a very interesting ski lift. But anyway, why I bring that up is um, my parents were into skiing and they started me skiing at about five years old. And at about 10 years old, I um, I saw these people on snowboards and I was like, right, I want to do that. It just, it, it, it just looks cool. And so I, um, I ended up going Harpers with my parents and buying a snowboard, which I think must have been one of the first snowboards in that size at that time. This was 1993 when... Uh, snowboarding was pretty non-existent so how old were you then i was 10 years old 10 yeah yeah so started snowboarding 10 years old didn't know anyone who snowboarded hardly seen anyone who'd snowboarded um but just thought it looked cool and uh from there it was always a passion of mine i just it was just a cool sport you know the area i grew up there's a lot of surfing and a lot of um you know sports skateboarding surfing was all stuff i did when i grew up but snowboarding was just something different and I think the fact that it was pretty non-accessible and pretty hard to do because the resort was only open in a small amount of days a year and the weather and the snow was very inconsistent, that it just drove me to be passionate about it. Did that passions that same passion exist in other sports? Um, not as much. And I'm not sure why. I mean, like I was into surfing, I was into skateboarding, but um, snowboarding, something about it just grabbed me. And uh, I, I, I just love doing it. And I, I don't exactly know what made that passion. 
So yeah, I guess where I go with it is just around you know what the uh, is there a level of athleticism that you had that was consistent and obvious to you or your parents when you were younger in other sports that showed up. So I mean, doing what you do, there's certainly a high degree of athleticism that is required. Some of it is what my experience of snowboarders, which is very limited, but is that they're a little bit kooky and crazy and that they don't have any attachment to crashing and burning. They just are okay with that. So they try really <laughs> crazy, crazy shit, you know? That is definitely true when you're young. As you get a little bit older, yeah. you get a bit more responsible. <laughs> you do, you do. You're like, oh gosh, I do have bones that break. Ah, that's no fun. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, uh, I'm not old by any standards. No, I'm you're 35, sure not. Yeah. But um, I crash very rarely these days. <laughs> that's because you're cautious or you just gotten that good combination of both? Oh, Definitely a combination of both, but, um, you know, as you get older, things hurt and, you know, it's different than when you're 20 years old, because as you say, a a snowboarder between the ages of 15 to 25, they take a lot of crashes. They do a lot of crazy stuff and they have very little regard for their bodily health. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and that's okay at that age. Sure. Now, now what, tell me about your parents, because here you are, you know, at 35, you're uh, both, you're successful in, in real estate, you're successful in your business. Where did that part of it come? I mean, you went to university, great, 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 but was it nature or nurture? Like, how did you end up self-employed? Was that a history with your parents or what did your parents do in that world? So my mother was a high school teacher mm-hmm. and my father was a project engineer, uh, both retired now. They still live in New Zealand, but they actually like to spend a lot of time in Canada. So they, I think they're pretty stoked that I live in Whistler because they visit me a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) So they both ski still and, you know, my dad's still into things like riding motorbikes. Uh, My dad's big into dirt bikes, skiing. So I guess a lot of action type sports I definitely got from them. But neither of them were entrepreneurs. Now, I think my dad would have been a fantastic entrepreneur, but he always was working for bigger companies as a project engineer. Now, in terms of where I got it from, it's interesting. I'm not 100% sure, but I do remember my first business where I made a substantial amount of money. In that business, I was about, well, it was almost when I started snowboarding. I was about 10 or 11 years old. And um, there was a a thing in New Zealand that was kind of a craze at the time called juggling sticks. Do you know what juggling sticks are? I think I do. It's like three, you got two in your hand and a third one and you're doing fancy, like you're doing flip-de-doos and all I think that's what you're talking Correct. about, right? That's exactly what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came across a pair of these juggling sticks. I can't remember. Maybe someone gave them to us as a gift or maybe I saw them and liked them, but I came across them and um, and they were cool. And not many people were into them, but I could see that it was a thing that more people were getting into. And I, I said, I could make these. And I started making them and selling them. And at the time, it was a huge amount of money for an 11 or a 12-year-old. I think I made somewhere around two to $3,000 in a matter of a few months as a 10-year-old, which was by far the most money I'd ever made in anything. And um, the reason I wanted to make money was because my parents didn't actually buy stuff for me, which I think is awesome. I don't know why they didn't buy stuff for me, but they didn't. They made me make my own money or, or you know, go out and do stuff to to create something if I wanted something. Right. And I don't know why they did that, but um, but that was fantastic. And I definitely want to do that with my kids because that drove me from a very young age to actually create my own finances. Well, you know, interesting. We just, because we were at an acre weekend that you were at and, and I think, were you there? You heard Janet LePage speak? Correct. Right. So one of the things on in with Janet LePage was it was a similar story, right? 
So, you know, so Janet LePage, who's, you know, done two billion in transactions in the world of real estate, she was driven as a as a young six-year-old, seven-year-old going, Mom and Dad gave me a couple bucks, but I was way more attached to making money. And my parents allowed me to do that. Now, did your parents it's just an interesting quality is what I'm, I'm pointing out there. Uh, so yeah. d- what were your parents um, kind of, cause that's an interesting thing to do at 10 years old or 11 years old. Yeah. That's a, I think that's a rare quality, especially definitely today, but even that many years ago, 25 years ago or 20 years ago, that's a, a rare thing to have your number one, have the, your child do, but even for you to take it on. What you know? Yeah. You were just you were lit up by the money, or were you also lit up by the stakes? Did you believe in a product? Give me. Do you remember what what it was for you, or is it just the dollar bills? I love the product as well. Yeah, you know, I was fully into the product. You know, I think the reason I was making them is because I was super good at doing it. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and there wasn't a lot of people selling these, and I could make them. So it was just like a. It was like just one of those moments where you're like, hey, this is fun. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I can do it. I can make it. I can sell it. Yeah. Let's give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> you were selling your passion about it as well, right? Correct. Yeah. And that wasn't my first way of making money. That was just the first one where I definitely made a significant amount of money. Sure. I don't know why my parents um, didn't buy stuff for me or made me credit, but I'm just happy they did because sure. I, I vividly know from that point on that I was always like, well, I want to be self-employed. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be a business owner. I just knew that. And I think um, when I was about maybe 13, I saw the infomercials on TV for Tony Robbins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Personal Power 2. Sure. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to buy that program. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember people being like, don't buy that program. Don't buy that program. Mm-hmm. But I bought it with my own money. And it was awesome. And I, um, I don't know. I just ever since then, I've been into kind of personal development type stuff like like things like Tony Robbins and, uh, you know, uh, self-motivational books or business-minded books, you know, all the stuff that real estate investors and entrepreneurs get into. Well, let's talk this, let's go off course a little bit on that, in that conversation. A couple of things that I, you know, that I want to, don't want to step over time and time again. And, and this is because you're, uh, I mean, you've got two children, uh, eight months and three and a half. So you're going to be faced with that conversation about what do you give your kids, you know? And, so I don't want to step over what you see as was really impactful for you, which was my parents didn't buy me stuff. You weren't starving, obviously, but you, if any extras, they, they were saying, you know, you got to earn it yourself. I had to deal with my parents where they go, you pay half, I'll pay half, right? Correct. On, on some of those things. So it was always that kind of a, a an agreement. You're seeing that with your kids. Tell me from your observation, because you're living in Whistler, you're that which is you know a, a, an expensive place to hang out. It's an expensive place to to visit to play. So you're on the hill. What's your own view of the world? Do you see parents being too extravagant with their kids? Do you think that's is that a kind of a philosophy or an opinion or a view of the world that you have? What what is your view of the world in that? I do see a lot of that for sure. I see a ton of people that seem like they're giving too much. I see a lot of people, I mean, I definitely see some entitlement and people who are lazy because they haven't had to earn it themselves, Mm -hmm. but I see the opposite side as well. I see a lot of people like me who just have to go out and make it for themselves um, and just make decisions to make it. And honestly, I think it's more of a slightly New Zealand attitude Mm. is that New Zealand has this bit of attitude where it's like, you know, get out there and do it yourself. New Zealand made, 
but rough around the edges. Don't worry about it. Just do it. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm skewing it, but that's kind of my opinion of the New Zealand attitude towards things. Sure. Like an example of that is um, in Canada and North America, a lot of people are really worried about things like liability um, and insurance and getting sued. Sure. And I'm more of the opinion, like, let's just go out there and do it. And then, you know, we'll deal with the consequences later if it comes up and hopefully it won't come up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't worry about that stuff. I just usually get it done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, so. yeah, and I mean, and that's what shows up for you. There's, you know, Gary V did a Vaynerchuk did a really cool piece where uh, I don't know if you saw where he stood on stage. It was it was actually the most chill I've ever seen and most clear I've ever seen Gary Vaynerchuk when he stood on stage and he said to parents, "You're fucking up your kids." Mm-hmm. You know, he said, "You're buying shit. You're you're setting them up to be self righteous and and." setting them up for failure in terms of their expectations. And it's not about the kids. It's about how you look to the other parents. It's about you and what's best for you and your view of the, like your vanity and your ego, as opposed to what's best for your children. And I went, that was a pretty cool, like, I mean, for, I I don't know. I just, it just landed really solid for me because I've had many guests on the, on the show. You know, one of the reoccurring themes is how they got to where they are. And some of it was just to your story. I mean, they're going, no, my parents gave me nothing. You know, they, they kicked me in the ass and said, get to work. And uh, they created a cool life because of that. So I don't know, it's a, a little bit philosophical and, and, you know, everybody has a different view of the world. And I'm certainly not making anybody wrong for whatever they're doing because there is no, <laughs> there is no uh, you know, no handbook for being a great parent. You know, we just figure shit out. So. Yeah, I've um, I've watched some of Gary Vee's stuff, just bits and pieces that yeah. come across social media, and I really agree with the vast majority of stuff he says. Mm-hmm. It aligns exactly with how my thinking is, and whatever that my parents did and and made me just want to get out there and actually do it, I mm-hmm. want to try to instill that into my kids. And I think part of that is not 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 buying them stuff if they want stuff. Absolutely, I just got to show them how they can earn that or how they can earn the money to be able to buy that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing that i'll approach as, a, as that comes up right now my, yeah. my trip is a three and a half eight months so. <laughs> and, and kids are that. kids right the best laid plans and and you know and then and you know as yeah. tyson then somebody punches you in the face right so you know we it, the realities of children are they're just children right so nurture it and where you can it's cool let's share the journey of you coming to canada and you're being a snowboarder because you built your business so tell me a little bit about the business and because I want to morph this into, because you've got, you know, the entrepreneur that you are, the business guy that you are, you've done some really, really cool stuff in business, but I want to know a little bit more because you then have done some really cool stuff in real estate. So give me a little bit of background on both those and let's bring them together to, you know, bring you current to the lifestyle that you've now been able to create for yourself and for your family. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you about starting with the, the move to Canada is that I, um, in New Zealand, I, I, I finished high school and I actually went on an exchange to Switzerland for um, one year. Like a, it was an AFS exchange, which is um, basically a high school exchange. Mm-hmm. But I chose Switzerland because it was the smallest country I could see that had the most snowboarding in that area. So I was like, all right, if I get positioned somewhere here, I'm going to be close to mountains. Okay, so you're now <laughs> obsessed. Every decision that you're making is about, I want to be happy snowboarding. Correct. Okay, Correct. got it. So, so um, that we, that, you know, the exchange was fantastic. I'd actually finished high school, so I didn't really have to worry about too much. So I could spend a lot of time snowboarding. And I think probably spent, you know, I probably went to 30 different resorts around Switzerland snowboarding that year. So that was fantastic. Anyway, I came back to New Zealand, went to university, went to Canterbury University, which was um, the South Island of New Zealand. And that was 
specifically chosen because it was about an hour's drive from Mount Hutt, which was one of the more major ski resorts in New Zealand at the time. Anyway, I did the marketing degree and, um, and I was like, all right, finished the degree. Let's, uh, let's go snowboarding. So basically moved to Canada. Now moving to Canada was really easy for me because my mom's actually Canadian. She lives in New Zealand with my dad, but, um, I already had the Canadian passport and stuff. So it was just an easy thing. I'd actually been to Whistler once before my parents had had um, taken us on a vacation. I was about 13 years old and we'd been to Whistler and it had been epic powder. It was amazing conditions. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is it. Get back to Whistler. <laughs> Whistler heaven. Yeah. So I'd been there when I was about 13 years old and I hadn't been back since. And I went over and, um, you know, I, uh, I was like, right, I'm in Whistler. What am I going to do? I want to be able to snowboard every day. So, um, I'm going to work in the restaurant. And I literally started in the restaurant as a busser working busing tables, clearing tables. I moved to Canada. I think I had probably $3,000 when I moved to Canada. So, you know, basically nothing, you know, a little, a small amount of savings. And then I was like, right, we'll I have to buy a season's pass. That's like a thousand bucks. How do I get a free season's pass? And I was like, oh, I should be a snowboard instructor and I'll get a free season's pass. So I'm making all these decisions around snowboarding. You know, how can I snowboard as much as possible? And, um, you know, I got this instructor pass and I would instruct, you know, 20 days of the season to get the pass and then I'd work four or five nights a week in the restaurant to make money. And um, I'd snowboard as much as I could. And I got pretty good. You know, I was doing a lot of competitions, not only snowboarding for fun, but doing competitions at the time was super fun. And I made a couple of little sponsor contracts. Like I, I made a little bit of money from snowboarding. So some would say professional snowboarder, but not enough to actually make a living, but enough that most people would think you're a professional snowboarder. But um, after about three years in Whistler, we're going back and forth between Canada and New Zealand. I was like, right, well, how do I make money? How do I, um, how do I actually make some money to snowboard rather than just working in this restaurant? Because I worked in the restaurant for three years. Right. First as a busser clearing tables. Second as a food runner running the food, and third as a server serving the tables. And as a server, you actually make okay money. You know, I was probably making twenty five, thirty bucks an hour as a server. Well, you're young, you're good looking, you got a kind of a sexy accent. So you're, you know, the, everybody's loving you. So that's great. So you're getting pretty good tip money. Good tip money. But I didn't want to be a server. Like, honestly, that work <laughs> kind of sucks. Like, I'm not going to lie. I was just doing it to snowboard. Okay, that's great. And so I, um, I think there was a book. I, I mean, I was always into these personal development books and I was always setting goals because I looked back at some goals I had from high school and some of the goals were like, I want to be able to snowboard every day. I want to have a new snowboard every year, all this stuff. And I looked at some of these goals and I was like, oh man, I've got all that stuff. Like I'm snowboarding whenever I want. I got all these new snowboards and stuff. And, uh, and I was like, I better set some bigger goals. So I was reading a book and I can't remember what book it was, but it made you line up like what your passions are and what you're good at and, um, and all this stuff. And it basically said, you've got to somehow do something with snowboarding and maybe teaching people how to snowboard. And, and out of that, I was looking at different business opportunities. I was just looking what's for sale in the newspaper and stuff. And I wrote this, I wrote all this stuff down. I was like, right, well, you know, I'm, I'm good at snowboarding and I'm, I'm good at teaching people how to snowboard. How do I turn this into some kind of way to make money? And what I did is I built an online learning system that would teach people how to snowboard through the internet. And that's the company I started called Snowboard Addiction. So Snowboard Addiction, when, when was it born? How many years ago now was it born? I started it in 2007, which was about three years after I moved, first moved to Canada. Right. So I'd already done about three years of just snowboarding as much as I can. And, um, and this was a, a way to see if I could uh, make some money on the side to support my snowboard habit. 
Okay, so uh, what's interesting about that? I mean, you go back to sorry, what two thousand and two thousand seven is when I oh, started. Sorry, the seven, yeah. So yeah. I mean, so you're 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 talking about online learning in two thousand and seven. I mean, that was barely a thing. Yep, I was lucky to get ahead of the curve on that one. Well, no, but but what drove you to get ahead of the curve? Like, what what why were you ahead of the curve? Was there something that stood out? Something you saw? Something, or did that idea just kind of manifest? It was literally one of these personal development books I was reading. It was like talking about what you should be doing with your life. And it, it made you write down what you're good at and what you're passionate about and what uh, some other things. And it, it just basically almost gave me a paragraph that said, I have to teach people how to snowboard somehow. And I get that. I do. I really get that. Yeah. But what's interesting for me is that I dig in a little bit on this is that you were like a hugely early adopter in internet education. Like, Correct. So that's what I'm wondering where that came from. That is just a question. And was it was it just like a bing and you had the, a, an idea for it? Did it show up in a meditation or did you read something about it? Well, I already looked at like um, snowboard instructors mm-hmm. and I was a snowboard instructor and I was good at it. I just, it was natural. I was teaching all sorts of people how to snowboard, but I was like, no one makes any money at this. And I'm like, how do I make money? How do I, I, I was <laughs> asking myself the right questions. Sure. How can I actually take this and scale it to something that, that could make money? And then the, and the that's the thing. question. That's the question for any entrepreneur. How do I scale this? Because I can't work harder. You're not interested in working harder because you want to snowboard more. Correct. So you're saying, how do I scale this, pull myself out of the equation at some point? And so you're asking the right question, by the way. How do I scale? And I'm asking these questions maybe just inside my head. They might have been on paper at sure. the time. Yeah, yeah. But I'm definitely asking things like, how do I teach people to snowboard without actually physically having to teach people to snowboard? <laughs> That's genius. I don't I want it. to be up there teaching people <laughs> hands-on how to snowboard. Right. I want to be teaching people so that then I can just go snowboard. Well, what's cool about this is what I love about this conversation and what you're saying here, Nev, is that, uh, and it's one of the, the things that I've picked up from you and in other kind of conversations, but the point is this, is that you're not trying to figure out a way to be lazy. You're not trying to figure out how do I do this so I can just lay on the beach. You're, you're actually figuring out a way to do what you love to do and create a scenario where you get to run a business doing what you love to do and which frees you up the time to actually do what you love to do. Yeah. Slightly different, right? It's not like, okay, I'm going to build a business so I can sell it and then lay on a beach. That's not what you're thinking is because you're having too much fun as a snowboarder. Yeah. And you're doing something that most at most really good athletes don't outgrow is they become coaches. Yeah. They continue to sell their time. Now, I'm not making any of that wrong, but what I'm pointing out here is that you actually weren't one of those guys. That's just interesting. Okay, cool. I keep interrupting. Go. No, it's okay. I actually have a, a bit of an interesting story that uh, I'll tell you. It's, uh, it's kind of long-winded, but it's interesting. About business partners. So... I was um at one point I was teaching the Whistle Blackcomb instructors how to um how to ride freestyle, and freestyle is uh is like uh, the tricks, the flips and the spins and all the rails, all the all the stuff that most of the young people are doing. Mm-hmm. And I had an instructor come up to me like this is one of the other instructors Whistle Blackcomb was like, man, you're really good at teaching this stuff. Like this is awesome. Like I want you to review this idea I have, and he had an idea where he was actually making audios that would teach people how to snowboard. He had um like uh that you'd put on an iPod at the time, so he had audios and a PDF manuals that would teach people how to snowboard. Mm. And I said, "Yeah, send it through to me. Let me check it out." And I was like, "Um, 
And I saw this idea and I was like, this is a really cool idea. I think we should partner up. We should do this. This 50-50 partner on this and, um, and let's make it way better. And so this guy was like, yeah, sweet, awesome, let's do it. And so we actually partnered up for a very short period, for about six months, where we partnered up and I redid all of his audios together with him. We redid all the manuals together. And my girlfriend at the time made um, this whole new website that made it look really flash. She was a the girl I was with at the time was a kind of a graphic designer. And then what I also did on top of that, I was like, look, we've got to start making some video. We've got to start making videos that teach people how to snowboard. And I started making a series of videos. And so we put all this stuff together, together with a partner at the time. This is in 2007. And we started put it online and we just like started to get some sales where we would start to get, you know, a person a day buying this stuff. Just till you're like, oh, actually people are buying this thing. And um, one day I came home from snowboarding. And at the time, his cousin was the tech guy, the tech guy who had all like the web hosting and the security. I came home from snowboarding one day and the password to the website had changed, the password to the email had changed, the password to the PayPal account had changed, the password to everything had changed. And the business partner I was with basically said to me, I don't need you anymore. (laughs) And he said, oh yeah, yeah, you know, like, sorry, it's done. We don't need you anymore. This was about six months into the business. How did you take that? Well, I was devastated. I I was absolutely devastated for about, a few weeks. Yeah. Was, well, because you, you got this relationship. I mean, aside from the dollars and cents of it, knowing you a little bit, the devastation is actually the 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 trust, broken trust in the relationship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? There was very little dollars at that time. It was sure. it was tiny. It was just starting. It was in its infancy. To top it off, a few, I think a month after that or something, or maybe a few weeks after, my girlfriend broke up with me. <laughs> so you're just getting hammered. You're getting hammered. <laughs> so, you know, I think this was for a couple of years or whatever, a uh, year and a half or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, this was like, oh, shit, double whammy, everything's falling apart. Your life's <laughs> crumbling. But you know what happened, man? Like, I just, like, maybe even a week after that, I realized, man, this is awesome. This guy just gave me full opportunity to take over this entire business with no hangups at all. And that was the best thing that possibly could have happened. The best thing that could have happened. Because he gave me free reign to do this myself because he shut me out of something that I'd totally revamped. And I even have the paperwork still. I still have the agreement. That's a 50-50 partnership between us. Right. So anyway, so, you know, I just rebranded everything to Snowboard Addiction which was not much at the time. It was some audios that, that largely he had firstly developed. Some PDF manuals, we'd redone them, we'd redone the audios, we'd redone, redone the website and all these videos I'd made. So I just rebranded everything, bought a domain name, got one of my friends who was a techie guy to help me host the website to start with. Started out fresh, 100% ownership of the business. Best thing that could have ever happen. So you're starting to just build content. Just started building content. Just started building the best snowboard tutorials of the world I'd ever seen. There wasn't that many snowboard tutorials at the time. Yeah, yeah. But definitely like the most in-depth, accurate snowboard tutorials that actually teach you the correct technique that have ever been made. And that's uh, that's how the business started. It was 12 years ago and it just built up from there and it's been really awesome. It's been a good ride. It's been, you know, I would have never guessed this is what I would have been doing, but this is just what I'm doing, and it's awesome. Okay, but okay, so let's expand on that now. So we got this, yeah. you know, snowboard addiction is built. You know, you've you had your ass handed to you, which, like so many things in life, is that eye of the needle that you have to go through, and the adversity that you faced actually turned out to be 
exactly what needed to happen. The blessing in disguise didn't seem like it at the time. So that's that's all profound and kind of cool. We know we see that happen. Now, real estate. Let's talk about how that fit into real estate because in parallel, there's something percolating in your brain around real estate. And so how do we bring that into the, the story? Cool. Yeah, so Snowboard Addiction started doing okay. You know, started making a living off it. Didn't have to actually go and work a job. And uh, in fact, just let me back up on that. Sure. The very first partnership with that guy was formed at the end of a winter when I was actually laid off from snowboard instruction and laid off from the restaurant. Because in Whistler back then, there was like a dead season where there wasn't much work. Sure. So I was literally laid off from the two jobs I had. And that's when I started reading these, well, looking at this book that was like, you know, I'm thinking, how do I create income? How do I actually make money? Because I, I lost my money. I lost my revenue source. So that's, that's when I started the business. But anyway, to, um, to uh, continue from that, there's, uh, you know, three or four years into snowboard addiction. It's actually doing pretty good. And we're making enough money that I'm putting some money away. And I'm, I'm always reading these personal development books. And the first one I ever read regarding real estate was the one that almost everybody reads, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, this sounds awesome. I mean, you know, I got to do this. I still, it's probably my favorite book. Still. It is. I think it's, I think it's, 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 it's a must read in life, yeah. period. Yeah. yeah. I think I've probably read it five or six times. Now. <laughs> yeah, I've got totally. the audio version. I got the Kindle version. <laughs> I got the version of it. Um, anyway, I've read a lot of Robert Kiyosaki's books and I love them. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I wanted, I was like, okay, this is cool, but this is America. What is there in Canada? So I just Googled, you know, I Googled real estate Canada and what comes up? Don Campbell's book, Real Estate Investing in Canada. Yeah. And um, and I read this and I'm like, okay, this is a little bit of a dry read, but hey, it's got good information. <laughs> it's a dry read. I'll pass that on. He'll listen to this podcast. He'll appreciate it. <laughs> well, that. it's not as easy to read as interesting and pull It's not a storybook in that way. Yes, yeah. got it. So anyway, I read Don Campbell's book and I'm like, right, okay, I'm gonna do this. I've got a little bit of savings here. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna buy a piece of real estate. And so I, I bought my first piece of real estate in 2010, so nine years ago. Nine years ago. And, in Whistler. Um, so people got to get this. Was, it was in Whistler. Okay. That's, that's so awesome. Yep. Good for you. Now, I read Don Campbell's book. And um, the thing that I remember the most from the book is the cash flow zone. Mm-hmm. I do that calculation, the cash flow zone. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this around Whistler. I'm going to find something in the cash flow zone. And it just so happened that in Whistler, there was some property selling inside the cash flow zone. Wow. And I'm very familiar with the rental rates around here because I've been living in town for five, six years at that point, seven years. And, um, you know, renting houses. I know what's up. I know what rental rates are. And I'm like, okay, this is a cash flow zone. Okay, let's do this. And I ended up buying my first property in Whistler, which was a, a duplex, 1,800 square foot, three-bedroom, two-bathroom house with a two-bedroom, one-bathroom suite below it. $560,000. A lot of money back then. Yeah, it was a hundred and twelve thousand yeah. dollar down payment. Yep, I did borrow a little bit of money from my parents that I did pay back, but I had the vast majority of the down payment myself. So I got a little hand up there on my first bit of real estate from my parents with the down payment. Paid it back pretty quickly because mm-hmm. the cash flow was great. Mm-hmm. You know, up down, you know, two units. Uh, Whistler's very easy to rent. There's almost never a vacancy ever in Whistler. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't you don't really have vacancies. <laughs> And anyway, just just to um, so that book was, but that uh, piece of property was purchased right out of after reading Don Campbell's book. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to do this some more. Snowboard Action is doing good; it's kicking off some money. 
And I'm basically reinvesting the vast majority of my profits from snowboard addiction back into real estate. And I, I was always doing that because I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, well, what if the snowboard addiction business doesn't do that well? I'm always second guessing myself, which is good and bad. It's bad because if I just focus solely on snowboard addiction with the burn the ships approach, it could have probably been way, way bigger. Mm. But instead of using that burn the ships approach, I always gave myself a backdoor. And I and that backdoor for me was largely real estate and the fact that I kind of kept funneling out profits from real estate and using them for down payments on properties. And um, I think within my first four years, so within four years, I think I bought four properties, all in Whistler. And um, that was, you know, the 2010 to the 2014 era. Now, that was all bought based on cash flow. I wouldn't buy any real estate without positive cash flow. And um, the timing was really good because obviously the financial crisis was 2008. And, um, you know, Whistler didn't get hugely affected by it, but there was definitely a drop Definitely some uncertainty. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. There was, yeah, yeah. There was probably, you know, real estate probably went down 20% or something off the highs in 2008. And that 2010 to 2014 range was just an absolutely fantastic time to be buying real estate in Whistler or anywhere in BC, or especially the lower mainland, Vancouver. Everybody who bought real estate in that area knows they probably doubled or potentially even tripled their money in some cases. Yes, for sure. And yeah, so I gave myself this backdoor, filtering money into, into some properties, I managed to buy about four properties. And this was before I even... I wasn't a rain member at that point. I was just buying based off Don's books. Yeah, and, well, well, let's step back even one, you know, one more. I mean, I mean, and at that time, you're what thirty years old, twenty eight years old, twenty nine years old, right? Yeah. And I yeah. mean, so you've got a business going on. You're buying real estate based on what yeah. you read in a book. Yep. So I just want to kind of put a pin in that for now. But go ahead. Oh, and on that note, I don't own my own house. I'm buying real estate. I'm renting myself. <laughs> sure, of course. But that's yeah. see, that's smart. That's just smart. I mean, everybody's <laughs> heard that story a lot, and it's true. Yeah. You know, like just rent. I mean, I own my own house now. Yeah. But for like those first five or six years, I'm just renting properties and um and uh, buying rentals. And the funny thing is, I've got roommates most of the time. Like I'm actually renting a property, like a bigger house. And subletting out the other rooms in a big nice house where I get to live in the master bedroom with the ensuite bathroom and still have, you know, in some cases very reduced or subsidized rent from the other people who are living with me because I'm willing to take on that lease of that big house and be responsible and have people move in, move out, et cetera. You're running it like a business in that yeah. case. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You're operating it like a business. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the number of roommates that we have slowly dropped off because I met my wife 10 years ago. So we've, we've been to, we've been together for 10 years. We've been married for about four years now. And, you know, your wife always doesn't want you to have a ton of roommates. <laughs> oh, is that right? I'm surprised by that. <laughs> so I think we went from four roommates down to three roommates, down to two roommates, yeah. down to no roommates. And then we added one because we had a kid. And now we've got two because we've got two kids. So we're back up to two roommates now. That's awesome. So, yeah, we had a very short period of time where we had no roommates. <laughs> you started taking profits from your business, flowing them through into cash flowing real estate. So you're you're buying doors, you're managing your own real estate portfolio at that time because you had time to do it. As long as it wasn't cutting into your snowboard time, you're cool. You're going to you're going to continue to do that. There's also the evolution of your business, which is you started also, you went from ed, or tutorial kind of video and audio and PDF kind of stuff. 
and and then that flowed into actually you started producing or re or wholesaling or something some some equipment. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So Snowboard Addiction started making tutorial content that would teach people how to snowboard, basically making programs that people could purchase online for self-learning. And um, along those lines, I realized there were certain products that we were using to teach people that didn't really exist in the real world. So some of those products are like, um, we would be strapping a skateboard deck, uh, like a piece of wood to our feet and practicing snowboard moves on trampolines practicing things like grabs and spins and flips and the moves of snowboarding. And this product, you know, there was a couple of versions of it out there, but there was no one really doing it well. So we started to build our own snowboard training products. And one of our most popular products today is a trampoline board, which is basically a mini snowboard with um, a foam bottom that is safe for trampoline use and allows you to learn a lot of the different tricks and movements that are involved in snowboarding. And the point now, we get this, we get these products manufactured in China and we we um, have warehouses around the world, fulfillment warehouses that hold them. And then our website basically sells them to people all over the world through our office located here in Whistler. Um, so we're the world leading company in snowboard training products and equipment and snowboard tutorials now. That's a, so I love this story. Um, now you, you, you use the term we, I once asked an entrepreneur, I said, how many staff have you got? And he goes, well, there's three. There's me, myself, and I. And uh, so we run the business. So in your case, what yeah. does we represent? Well, when I say we, it's, it's my team and I. Um, yeah. So I own the business, yeah. but I have four full-time staff. Yeah. So with me, there's five full-time staff. I just refer to it as we is because a lot of sure. the guys on my team are doing a lot of the work. Yeah, of course. Um, and uh, and uh, you know, it's, they're helping. I'm fortunate enough to have them helping me build the business. Yeah. which is amazing. So you're doing a great job as a CEO that you're doing exactly what you should be doing as a CEO, which is in order to scale the business, you have to get the hell out of the way and surround yourself with great people, which you're doing. That's awesome. So let's go back on the real estate journey. So you started, you read Don's book, you started buying cash flowing real estate. So let's talk a little bit more about where you are in your real estate world today, because you became a RAIN member. How long ago now? About five years ago. About five yeah. years ago, you've been hanging around the room. You're you're a pretty consistent guy. You show up often. You get to lots of events and spend lots of time in the room. So, what else have you been doing in real estate? Where else? Where did, has that taken you? Yeah. So, um, I you know I had this back door in my business where I'd filter profits out to buy real estate, and the main reason I was doing that was because I had this thing in my head that was like, you know, what if uh, if the business fails? I don't want to have to go get a job. <laughs> yeah, because that would cut into my snowboarding time. It wasn't it, that was really the, like we got to keep linking back to that. This wasn't about getting a job because you're not lazy. You just want, yeah. don't want to get a job where you have to cut into any snowboarding time. Correct. Okay. Correct. Great. Got it. So, um, so you know, um, I built up this portfolio, and you know, it's um, a medium sized portfolio, roughly about twelve doors. Um, I've actually only got six properties, but most of them have multiple rentals. Sure. It is built enough that um, I've probably made more money in real estate now than I have in my snowboard addiction business. Yeah. Um, if I was to sell everything. Sure. <laughs> and um, and the cash flow was more than enough that I would not have to go back to work even if my snowboard business completely failed. But the cool thing about that is that now that I'm in that position, which it's been in that position for the last few years, I can actually go and spend more time back in snowboard addiction which aligns more with my lifestyle and my passion because I don't have to worry about that failing because I now have 
secure enough income and other sources that I can go back and focus on snowboard addiction and feel good about that. So. Dude, that's such an awesome story. I love, love, love this story. And that's why it was one of the many reasons I was excited to have you on the show. Now, back to your wife. Is she working the business? Is she, I mean, you got two small children. Is she, you know, her primary focus being a mom? Because you're, I think you primarily work from home, I think. I'm not saying that you may have an office or not, but I mean, you're hanging around your wife and children a lot as well. Yeah. And Beck's part of that? Just on that note, um, I, I do have a home office, which I am here right now, but we have an office in Whistler in the industrial area. Mm-hmm. So most of my employees work from down there and I work from there maybe half the time. Yep. Um, but back to Bex. Um, so we have two kids, three and a half year old boy and an eight month old boy. Mm-hmm. And um, at the moment, she's just uh, full time with the kids. Yeah. Which is awesome. So she's not working right now, but she is an interior designer. Oh. So she hasn't been involved much with snowboard addiction. She's helped out with little bits and pieces. But she has definitely been involved with some of the property aspect of stuff um, and the fact that um, she's helped with several of the renovations that we've done. One of my units downtown Whistler, we renovated a few years ago. One of the units in one of the houses in Whistler, in fact, the first one I ever purchased in 2010, we fully renovated last year the entire place and sold it. Actually, we sold it this year, started this year mm-hmm. and um, had a huge capital gain. Unfortunately, uh, I have to pay oh, the big bill to the CRA. Don't you complain about paying capital gains tax? It's not allowed. because just be happy you um, are paying it. She did all like the, you know, she does all the design work on those sure. renovations. Yeah. And uh, even our own house in Whistler now as well, she, we fully renovated our own house and she did all the design work on that. And um, and so she's been very helpful in, in a lot of aspects in the real estate stuff. But in terms of the actual buying, managing the portfolio, I'm just doing that as a side part-time for me. And it is very part-time. Yeah. So let's go back to, you know, one of the things that, and one of the reasons that I was excited to have you on the show, and and we've had a couple of, you know, really kind of uber cool, young millennial type real estate investors. So take me back a little bit, because if, if you know, another 35-year-old or a 30-year-old, 28-year-old is listening to this particular podcast, a parent, perhaps, whatever, you know, you're in the rain room five or six years ago, you know, you're, or you're 30-ish, you know, how did you end up in the room? Like how did, and, and what was that experience for you? Because here's what I'm noticing within our rain community is actually, I'm noticing a much younger, you know, like the, the general kind of demographic is there's a, a number of millennial kind of individuals in the room, which really, really stokes me because that's one of my kind of my own personal passions about making a difference is that the generalization around millennials is that they've got, they don't want to work or they, they got, they're going to go to 15 different jobs or there is a, there's kind of a negative connotation around so many millennials. I mean, but that's not my experience, especially because I'm happen to know, you know, guys like you. So, but tell me about what it was for you. If you're giving guidance, if you're talking to another 28 year old or a 30 year old, you know, what are you, what would you be giving them guidance around in the world of real estate and business? And what was it like for you to show up in the rain room? Well, let me tell you how I first um, came across rain just to start that off. Sure. It was actually a snowboard addiction customer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, great. All the links, so, right? I actually remember talking on the phone with a snowboard addiction customer and he was telling me about rain. This was like 10 years ago. Yeah, And I think he told me he had like seven properties or something. I'm like blown away. I'm like, what? <laughs> seven properties? And um, and I think he might have been the guy that told me to, maybe he was the guy that told me to pick up Don's book. Right. So I read Don's book, Real Estate Investing in Canada, bought my first property. 
And then I didn't join Rain because I didn't want to pay the money, mm-hmm. right? I mean, part of being a good business owner is being frugal. Yeah. Not spending too much, you know, making sure revenue is higher than expenses. So I, I think I own maybe four properties and maybe four or five years in real estate investing before I even joined Rain. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I met another guy in Worcester who had been a Rain member for about 10 years. And that's Dwayne Sequeira. Mm-hmm. He has been a Rain member for about 10 years. And uh, he was like, well, you should come along to one of the meetings with me. And I was like, all right, I'll come along. And then, you know, from there, I was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. I should just join up. I'm I'm making cash flow now. and My real estate business is sustaining itself. So now it's okay to spend that money and not be worried about it. And that's how I joined Rain. That was about five years ago. Probably owned four or five properties before I joined Rain. Now, that's interesting. So, you know, you're hanging out with guys your age. What's the difference between, I'd like your view. You read a book and you go and buy four freaking properties, right? Like home run. That's not normal. Uh, I I mean, at any age, lots of people have read many books and not done anything with that knowledge. They've watched videos. They've gone to free meetups. They've done all sorts of stuff, but they're not doing it. So as you, let's just talk about millennials. Let's let's let you be a bit of a millennial expert for for the time being, because you're hanging out with guys your age and snowboarders and all the rest of it. So what's the difference between what you did and why people aren't doing it? Okay. All the guys I work with are in that age group as well. Mm -hmm. All my employees are younger than me. Um, Just as like a demographic up here in Whistler that's easy to work with, especially in snowboarding. Sure. There's millennials have this kind of people always talking about millennials being lazy and whatever. Sure. And there's definitely lazy millennials out there, but there's lots of not lazy millennials. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. And it all depends on on uh, on who you're talking to, and it depends on the decisions people make. Mm-hmm. It really comes down to the choices they make. Now, for me, a lot of it for me is about execution, not ideas. It's about execution. So, you read a book, you get all these good ideas, great. It doesn't matter if you don't execute. So, you read a book, Robert Kiyosaki's book, you're like, oh, okay, real estate's awesome. But if you don't execute, then what was the point of reading that book? Same with business. In business and snowboard addiction, we always have people giving us ideas. Oh, you should do this. You should do that. It's cool. I'm like, well, ideas are not the problem. It's execution. It's about the time to execute on the ideas we already have. So if I was to give advice to a millennial who wanted to get ahead or anyone who wants to get ahead, it's take action. It's go and do it. If you know, if you've learned the stuff, if you've read a book, if you've watched a seminar, now go do it and do it before you go to that next seminar because there's so many seminars and so many books and they've all got great information, but the information doesn't do anything unless you take the information and do something. You know, we use, um, and I'm coming just off an acre, I'm still kind of recovering from that three day event, but you know, we used a, a lot, which is if more information was the answer, we'd all be billionaires with six pack abs. Right. And because yeah. ideas are a dime a dozen, information you can't you can't even process the information that comes at you but it really is about execution it is stepping in and taking action now i um i get these um things like there's all these courses out there right sure and they're all great courses yeah and i want to go to them and i'm always like oh i want to go to that course i want to go to that course and i'm finding myself i'm having to be like no don't go to that course right and the reason for not going to that course is not because it it's going to be a great course. It's like, I don't want any more ideas. I don't want any more things I have to take on. I don't want any more tasks. 
I want to go out and snowboard. I want to go out and surf. <laughs> yeah. I want to go out and travel. I want to focus on the business I have. Yeah. I want to, you know, I want to spend time with my family and my wife. So I'm, I'm on the stage right now where I'm like turning stuff away because I just don't want to take anything on until I've got everything else dialed. So, you know, I love that, that level of focus. Let me go back to a fundamental conversation around this. And I think it applies to both the snowboard community and, and I think real estate. So we talk about information where people get stuck because we, I mean, we deal with it. Uh, the, my executive team of rain and, and we're always, you know, we're, we've got different programs. We're doing all sorts of things to support real estate investors in, in taking action. It's like, okay, what do you need and why aren't you taking action? And consistently, and I, and, and what's your view of this, Nev, is that we actually live in the world as like, I mean, for 27 years, Rain's been delivering education for, you know, they've been, we bring speakers in, we education, research, analysis. I mean, we, we do it all. And, and Rain members in, in general are way above the curve of taking action, right? Like they're way above that curve. There's no doubt about that. And, and we certainly have the track record for that given over 5 billion that's been submitted. I mean, and we know the number's far bigger than that. Community culture, environment. When you put yourself in the right community, in the right culture, in the right environment, with that knowledge, you're more inclined and you're actually better supported in taking action because you're actually in that. Nobody's making you wrong. They're actually saying, I'm doing it. Let's go do it. Right? That's my belief. We strongly believe in that. And I would, I could actually, actually probably present a, a, a very strong case study to show that that is in fact why rain has been successful doing what it's been doing now. But when you look at snowboarders, for example, use that as an example. I mean, you were snowboarding, you learned to snowboard. Your best learning environment was probably when you were with others on the Hill where you're having peer pressure and you're comparing yourself and you're actually competing. You're actually, there is something there that says you got to try this and Hey, by the way, your technique sucked, clean it up. Like, is that, would that be a case for you? That's 100%. That is a very, very good way to improve your snowboarding. If you can snowboard in and around people who are better than you, pushing you, having a good time, riding with the right technique, you're gonna, that's all just going to feed off you. You see a snowboarder who rides well, and, you, and you're like, oh, I want to ride like them, and you start using your body like that person. Or if you're riding with friends who are doing that one trick that's slightly better than you, they, they could be the one being like, oh, we'll try this out. This is what you got to do differently. And, and it's exactly how snowboard progression works with people who are learning quickly. Yeah. And, and, and that's how I believe. And I, uh, that's what I believe anybody, whether it be business or, or real estate in this case, is that's why the rain community, I, you know, I think has withstood the test of time, regardless of what we've made, you know, the mistakes that we've made as a business or as, as a rain, as a management team, we always come back to that fundamental. What's supporting people in taking action and moving forward? And, and, that, and that community, that culture, that environment in any industry, I think, is, is critical. I have something that I can share on that. So when I first bought my first couple of properties in Whistler, mm -hmm. I was getting some good cash flow, and they just seemed like good, good investment deals. So my parents, who lived in New Zealand, were like, well, Hey, you know these properties you're buying? Do you think you can maybe buy a couple for us with our money? And so I'm like, oh yeah, for sure. So I can. So I actually went out and bought two properties for my parents with their money. These are their properties. Yes. And I manage those properties, which is okay. I make a little bit of cash flow managing them. Sure. But 
that makes more work for me, which is not what I'm looking for. <laughs> Getting into snowboarding time. Because I didn't know what a joint venture was. Right. I, I was just like, oh, yeah, well, you know, of course I'll buy some properties for you because there's good deals out here and they cash flow. So, you know, they obviously wired some money and I went and did the deals and made some property purchases for them. After I joined Rain, I learned what a joint venture was. Mm. And then I'm like, wow, okay, well, I did those two deals wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I left a lot of money on the table with my parents. <laughs> Maybe a million plus dollars. <laughs> uh, but it's your parents. You'll, you know, yeah, you'll get, no, do you exactly. have siblings? Do you have siblings? I do. So I have an older brother and a younger sister, and they, um, they both own their own houses, but neither of them invest, invest. in real estate. Okay, so you're the leader um, my, in that part. Okay. My sister lives in New Zealand, and she's getting married next year, and she owns her property with her partner mm -hmm. and my brother lives in australia he married an australian and they own their property as well mm -hmm. so they both made you know a capital gain on the house they own but they haven't invested in real estate yeah. but getting back to that story is um if i joined rain earlier and i knew what i was really doing mm -hmm. obviously i would have joined ventured on those two deals with my parents because i don't own any of those properties i just i get a management fee and i manage <laughs> the tenants now. um but after that joining rain i actually did another two joint ventures with my parents where i'm like look this is what we do. This is how it works out. And I'm buying this property. We actually own it 50% each now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the typical joint venture arrangement, they came up with the money for the down payment. Mm -hmm. I came up with the deal. I was the real estate expert. And we own a 50% of those two properties each. So after getting after joining Rain, I learned what a joint venture was. And I actually managed to do a couple of joint ventures with a previous partner who I was just buying real estate for with no ownership benefit for myself. That's awesome. Well done. Well done, man. That's so great. So that's that thing you talk about is when you, you hang around the people, you hang around the snowboarders who are better than you, you learn how to snowboard better. If you hang around a real estate investor who's doing something you don't know about, you learn that that way of doing it and could potentially do that deal if that's what you want. You know, and, and, and just to, you know, just to kind of really put a huge point on that, and this is, uh, you probably had a chance to hear Stephanie speak, my wife. And I mean, imagine... 20, no, is it whatever, 20 teams, 18 countries of competitive skaters in this, in this world, figure skaters, dance skaters at an Olympic and world-class level, all training together in the same arena and then going out and competing against each other. And every single one of them has improved because of that. So 18 countries that compete against each other, that's mind-blowing. But it's yeah. such, it is truly the, you know, back to you, you being on the ski hill with other boarders. I mean, it's really what sets the bar because how, what are you comparing yourself to? You know, it's like real estate, you know, can I, I well, I bought one door. Well, that's awesome. And, but it, are really, are you actually being as good as you can be? Are you really driving it to be? And that's not to say you should own a hundred doors, but it's to really be clear on what is your goal? What's the benchmark? What are you measuring yourself against? Would that be a fair statement? Do you think, Nev? Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell me about mindset, because you really, you kind of shine a light on the personal, professional development, personal development. You know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way that really made a difference for you and, and had a, a strong impact on even your attitude towards it? And because, I mean, I'm assuming at some point you're busting through some fears. I mean, the fact that you could jump off the top of a mountain, that's great. Airtime and all the cool things you do. But what about the fear in terms of how you dealt with business and how you dealt with real estate and how you did what you did? What was that about? One thing that I'm lucky that I have is maybe a high risk tolerance. Sure. 
because <laughs> uh, you know what? There's lot, you know, there's lots of things out there that can stop you for sure, but there's very little of them that are actually going to kill you. You know, like let's say, you know, I find a lot of people in North America are scared of things like starting a business or maybe investing in real estate. But what's the worst that can happen? Mm-hmm. The, real, the piece of real estate isn't going to go to zero. Mm-hmm. The worst that can happen if you start a business is you're going to go bankrupt. But what is who cares? Like you go bankrupt, okay, get up and try again if you really want to. I mean, like you're in North America. It's not like they're going to put you in jail. You're not going to die. So I, I definitely have a high risk tolerance. And um, but there's lots of different things I I um, pay but, attention. But to. but yeah. But here's the thing. Let me just interrupt there for just a second. I get that you've got a high risk tolerance. But you're really smart because as much as you've got a high risk tolerance, you're you're you've got a parachute that you're building in behind you. You've got a plan B, plan C. So although your risk tolerance is high, you're risk mitigating the whole time. Absolutely, you're so not being irresponsible you of that. Yeah. So with snowboard addiction, there's zero debt in the company, and it's always been built out of zero debt. So I got a policy: you got to keep your revenue higher than expenses. You know, if you're spending more than you're earning, you're doing something wrong. So, so that's a very simple little business lesson. If you can find something that you can sell and you can make more money than you're spending to create that money, then you're going to be running a profit. Mm-hmm. Smart. And I've always ran my business that way. Snowboard mm-hmm. addiction. It's like, okay, keep your revenue higher than your expenses, then you've got a profit. And um, whenever our if our if our revenue if our expenses ever start creeping up above revenue, which has occasionally, I'm like, I gotta sort that out. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not allowing that. It's not okay. Yeah, and that's the same in real estate. If you're buying a cash positive piece of real estate, a piece of real estate that cash flows, your revenue is higher than your expenses, and it's a very safe way of buying real estate because if um if the value of that real estate goes down, but you're still making a positive cash flow, you're not really worried because you're still making that money every month, even if it's only a few hundred dollars a month. So you know, I've built snowboard addiction in the same way as any piece of real estate I bought, making sure it's cash flow positive. Okay. So got that, but let's go back. You know, you're reading Tony Robbins, you're reading Kiyosaki, you're reading all the stuff that you're reading around personal development stuff. How are you evolving as a man, as a young man? How are you evolving as a business guy and, and just as a person where in your own evolution, do you think shifted character have you what what got you here what was some of the learnings along the way if you if you if you get what i mean it's 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 continual learning the whole time Mm. you know what i mean i think a lot of it starts out with deciding what you want and i definitely was uh the kind of person that would write goals down i have a history i have like a google doc that has goals from it from like 10 15 years ago and they get moved from like a set the goal to achieve the goal list Mm. I definitely set a lot of lofty goals of things I wanted to achieve and have in my life and um, just made that why of why, what do you, what do you really want? And then the business just kind of developed itself from, from that, from knowing what I wanted to get. A lot of that was lifestyle based. Yeah. So let's, let's dig into that just a little bit. And if we unpack it, you know, when we talk about, you know, what's your why and, and I know that we get, your passion for being a snowboarder, but was it, was it really that simple? Was it really, cause I just want to fricking snowboard all the time. What was it, or what was driving your why Nev? Well, I had a strong financial why from a young age. Mm-hmm. 
where I just wanted to be self-employed, wealthy, entrepreneur. And that definitely helped to drive me. But then the other driver was definitely lifestyle. Mm -hmm. What what can you do? You know, it's always been about where am I living and what am I doing? And what am I spending my time doing? So that was a big why. And then the why these days, I really have to keep working on it because it evolves, it changes. Sure. And I need to um I need to revisit my why and make it bigger and and uh and make what I'm, what do I really want for the next 10, 20, 30 years? Because my why from 10 years ago is not big enough to motivate me going forward where I need to be now. Do you actually see a place where you could get maybe complacent as in, well, I've made all the money, like I'm making good dough. Um, you know, I got a great lifestyle. Hell, I live in one of the best cities in the world. I'm doing what I love to do. I've now got, you know, a beautiful wife, two beautiful children. You know, why the hell do you get out of bed in the morning, Nev? You can definitely get complacent. And I have been mm -hmm. complacent at times, mm -hmm. but I'm still motivated. Mm -hmm. I, you know, like I, I still want, that next level and lifestyle and freedom for, you know, my family, my kids, my friends, there's, there's a lot more, but I, it still has to be worked on because if I don't work on it, I will get complacent. So, you, you know, the, and, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I, I just find it really kind of fascinating, you know, the work that you've done and, and the journey that you've been on. And let me ask you this question. What lights you up aside from getting on the Hill? What really lights you up these days? You know what? I'm I'm pretty passionate about entrepreneurship. Mm. I uh, I'm you know I've I've always been passionate about about my business, but other people having their business as well. You know, it's it's definitely fun to help people. So I've got a bunch of buddies in town in Whistler who are involved in their own businesses or their own investing in various ways, and a lot of them look to me for advice because I have been somewhat successful in in different areas, and it's just really nice to be able to help them. And even help my employees to um, to better their lives through whatever they need, which my employees, in most cases, it's not entrepreneurship. But I get, I've even involved them in my business in a way that if they can help grow the profits of the business, it directly grows their income. I just, you know, it's, it's one thing is really nice to help people, but I do get lit up with entrepreneurship. And you love the being a contribution, which is, is, is an interesting place to be for anybody, but especially as a young entrepreneur and, a, as a, and not that you're a rookie entrepreneur, but you're very young uh, at yeah. this course in your life, but you're really getting that, that contribution piece is pretty significant for you. My whole business is based, the whole snow production business is based on contribution. It's all about teaching other people how to snowboard. I mean, our um, catchphrase is our goal is to improve your writing. Mm -hmm. So for 12 years now, I mean, I'm running the business for 12 years. It's all about how other people can improve their snowboarding. The customers are the ones that are paying the money for the products and the courses. Without that, there's no business. So it's all about how we can help them. And we help millions and millions of snowboarders all around the world. So it's very fulfilling. It's, um, you know, it's very rare that I will get on a chairlift with snowboarders and Whistler who don't know who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, there's great people constantly recognizing me and, thanking me for the work I've done, which is just incredibly fulfilling. It makes me want to do more of it. Do you recognize yourself as a leader? Yes. Do you spend time really reflecting on who you're being as a leader? Do you actually study leadership? Yeah, I have studied leadership, um, but mostly through personal development style books mm -hmm. and a couple of courses. 
and yeah, no, I, uh, I, I am a leader in multiple areas of my life by nature, entrepreneurship, family, you know, real estate, um, and even, uh, even some other different interests that I'm involved in, uh, some other businesses as well. Do you have a philosophy around, you know, being true to yourself, living values? Is that something that shows up for you? Are, are you pretty focused in, these are my values, this is, and everything else can go away. I'm not, I'm sure in Whistler, especially it's, it's quite transient. And so you can probably be pulled in a lot of directions, right? So I do definitely have values, but I think I haven't concentrated them on them a lot in mm-hmm. terms that more of them are probably subconscious. Mm-hmm. There's, I don't have like a written set that I'm, sure. that I'm uh, going by, yeah. but you know, like, you, you know, you ask me, if you ask me certain things and be like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, so there's, mm-hmm. there's definitely values there, but I haven't got like a listed amount of what right. I'm living by or organized by. Right. So you're, you're probably, you're, yeah, to your point, you just are who you are. You live to that and, and, and you're pretty focused on, uh, not getting off on some tangent or being pulled in a direction that isn't within the context of who you want to be. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually quite focused right now on not getting pulled in tangents mm. because there's so many tangents all the time. And I see a lot of my friends getting pulled in tangents and I'm like, man, just focus on that. Like you don't need to be pulled on this tangent. Just go and do that and do it the best. So within snowboard addiction, there's so many different tangents we can get pulled on. And we're all about focusing getting really good at what we're doing and then we'll expand later as we have the time and the resources to do that. Okay. We got to start to wind down a little bit. Okay. Is there anything that you haven't said that you want to say a message that you want to give to leaders or, or listeners as a leader, anything that shows up for you? You know, all that information that you can get is so awesome. Keep, keep, keep uh, studying, you know, from leaders, from personal development books, but just go and execute on whatever the information is. Get shit don't done. Get stuck. Yeah, get stuff done. Get shit done. Don't don't keep reading if you're not doing it. Read one, take action. If you're going to start a business, find a way to make money, duplicate that way to make money, and keep your revenue higher than your expenses. <laughs> and surround yourself with cool people. With some great people that push you. Now, okay, so we're going to do some rapid-fire questions and maybe something even more profound. This has been such a great uh, conversation, Nev, so thank you for uh, the time. Some rapid-fire questions. Now, we know that Rich Dad, Poor Dad was a pretty impactful book. We know that Don R. Campbell was a pretty impactful book. We know yep. that Tony Robbins, whichever book it was, The Power Within or whatever that book was that you read, that was pretty impactful. It was like the CD program of like 24 CDs, <laughs> yeah. Personal Power 2. Personal Power 2, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, aside from those three things, those three books and that audio program, what is the, one of the most profound books that you've read other than those, if there is one? Or what book do you like to gift? So... I'd say one of my other favorite books is probably How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh, isn't that? That's an oldie. That's an oldie, but it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Still there. Hey, it's, it's great. It's just so good. And I find myself using principles from that all the time. Hmm. I've, I've got the audio book and I've got the physical book. And I um, like you listening to a lot of audio books. I'm listening to audio quite a bit these days. I'm going to download that. I'm going to, I'm actually going to, I'm I'm making a note. I haven't read it for a long, long time, like years, but I have read it and, uh, time for a reminder. Okay. You will listen to it and you'll be like, oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm looking forward to it now. But right now I'm actually listening to one of your recommendations from the podcast, Extreme Ownership. Oh, love that book. 
Yeah. Love yeah, that good. book. Um, yeah, it's really cool. And I've, I've realized there's certain aspects that I haven't been owning from that book. But I'm like, okay, man, extreme ownership. I gotta yeah. stop blaming and, and yeah, stop. No, yeah. yeah, quit blaming, quit complaining, and own it. It was it was something from Acre Weekend. Somebody um, it was like, don't complain about what you're not that you what's something that you've been willing to tolerate. You have don't complain. Been, totally high performance the result of low tolerance or high performance the result of low tolerances. But Janet LePage said. Your life is a ref- some version of your life is a reflection of what you tolerate. Yeah, don't complain about anything you've been willing to tolerate. No, exactly. If you're willing to tolerate, and that goes with what are you tolerating with yourself, right? Yeah, that's just a messed up question and statement, by the way. That will. Well, I've complained about a few things that I've been tolerating, <laughs> and I'm no longer willing to tolerate them. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's a good yeah, stand good. to take. Uh, yeah. That's extreme ownership. That's cool. Uh, yeah. What's your uh, What's your Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? Yes, I think this one might be Henry Ford, which is the guy who obviously created Ford Motor Company. Yeah, yeah. And it is um, whether you think uh, you can or think you can, can't, you're right. You can't. Either way, you're right. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's a that's a that's a very popular one. That's a kind of a that's a a, a staple. You know, I, I love that one because it's just like. I, I always hear people being like, I can't do that. I'm like, don't say that. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you think you can do it, you can, you can do figure it. out a way. You know, get it done. Get it yeah. done. I like that one, but I, I like lots of them. Uh, do you have a favorite swear word? Fuck. Fuck. Yeah, it's still it's still the the, the go to for most. Now it's not the actually it's probably an eight out of ten yeah. in terms of people. Like eight out of ten people will uh, the f bomb is really popular. My wife gives me a hard time. She says I swear a bit too much. I don't swear a ton, but I mean she thinks I swear a lot. Okay, well quit it. Gotta pay attention. I'm, I'm kind of like Gary V. Gary V's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like I, don't, I really don't care. Like, yeah, the end of the world. Exactly. Uh, don't sweat the small stuff. Okay, if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? There's a snowboard phrase that we use: "Rip it up, rip it up, rip it up." It's like welcome. You know, you're here and be awesome. Cool. I didn't know that. I watched your, that little video that you did with your son yep. um, that that went viral, which was just cracked me up. But I, I remember the first time I watched it, I went, you know, because you went through the whole lingo of what he was doing. And I went, I have no clue what you just said. <laughs> because you're doing snowboard, snowboard, you know, language. It was like, anyways, we digress. It wasn't just the accent. Yeah, it wasn't just the accent. Uh, yeah, I love it, you know. I, but the the best part of that whole video is when he lands and you go stomped it. You know that's that's great. Okay, that, I got that. Okay, that means he landed. Okay. Uh, so that uh, that video that Patrick's talking about is um, a video of my six month old who we're basically teaching him how to snowboard. Um, he can't even stand up yet because you know, <laughs> you've got him in a yeah, you got him in a jolly jumper that you're walking yeah, him around. Got him in a jolly jumper. The video we put up um, it, it got watched by 25 million people. <laughs> Um, cracks so me up almost every snowboarder in the world has probably seen this video if you want to see it go on facebook and just search six month old snowboarder and you'll see what we're talking about 25 million it was awesome i just loved it what are you not very good at you're good at a lot of things but what are you not very good at <sighs> what am i not good at? i'm not you know what i'm not super compassionate something i probably should get better at oh you're a bit of a hard ass yeah i'm a little bit of a hard i'm a little bit rough around the edges yeah 
I'm uh, I'm not super patient. Mm-hmm. I'm, 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 okay. I'm patient with some things, but other things I'm like quite often in a rush to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got I'm, something I would like to be better at myself, which I'm working at, is um, just taking more time. And just you know, I've you know one aspect that I'm good at now is financially I'm relatively good, so I'm going to take more time and call it concentrate on some other aspects that I'm not <laughs> as good at. You know, that's a good idea. I like that. Take more time in life and just enjoy it. You know, I actually am spending more time on my health these days. Mm. Now, why that? Why why are you spending more time on your health? I mean, you're you're athletic, you're young, you know, are you are you just thinking that you're getting to be a little bit uh soft around the edges or or what is it for you? Could be just that thing of getting a little bit older, right? You just get that little <laughs> bit stiffer and that little bit sore and I can't keep up with the young guys, you know, the, the stuff that the young guys are doing on snowboards is just incredible. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm doing more things like stretching, mm-hmm. eating healthier, mm-hmm. you know, going to the gym, mm-hmm. trying to go to the gym a couple of days a week. I, sometimes I don't even get that off and I got to, I got to schedule it more. I've, you know, I've spent a lot more time focusing on aspects of business over the past 10 to 15 years. Now I've got to spend more time balancing it out. Family time, health time in conjunction. You know, it's interesting, uh, you know, I have my own philosophy around, you know, training because I've trained all my life. I've been really, I go through times where I'm not as focused on my kind of physicalness and my workouts and training, but I'm always pretty focused on my health. And, and somewhere in my life, I came to understand or believe that we actually set the foundation for our health now, like, you know, the future is now. And, you know, my mom's 91 and she did, she was always really active, but nothing more than I, uh, she always went for a walk. You know, that was her thing. She walked and she'd get up in the morning, she'd go for walks or she'd do a little bit of yoga. And it's like, I, she's not even, there was no intensity around it, but she walked every day. And I look at my mom at 91 years old, who's still sharp as a tack. You can have a conversation like we're having right now. She keeps up, you know, and physically she's of course slowing down like a 91 year old, but she's 91 I go, what the hell? And I think there's a foundation there that is, you know, that we create when we're at this, this, your age. I I mean, I'm 61. Yeah. So, you know, but I, when I was 30, man, and, and I started really training focused when I was 30 years old and I've always just been that way. I think it's so important. Have you watched the new documentary that came out on Netflix called The Game Changes? Oh, I, I, I started watching it and then I just, yeah, I, I lost the plot on it. I, I, because of when you look in behind the scenes of what's really going on, who's driving it, why they're, why, I, I, I lose all credibility on that kind of stuff. That's just my view of it. I know some people who loved it, loved it. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to start eating a bit more healthy. Yeah. Just, just eating. Like, I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan, but yeah. um, I'm just starting to eat more, you know, we're definitely eating more vegetables and more plant based stuff just as a general health. Yeah. Well, being paying attention, being paying attention, yeah. you know, I love that. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Room desk or your car. What do you clean first, Neff? I'd like to say room, but my wife's would argue room that too, and she's kind of messy. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you right now, Stephanie, my wife, the last thing on her list is her uh, her desk. You, that, yeah. yeah that. Well, I'm looking at my desk right now. My desk is not that tidy. Yeah. The room's tidy in the fact that none of my stuff's anywhere, but it's not that tidy because Bex's stuff's everywhere. I, you know, I think, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, so what did you decide? What's your decision? Room. Room. Okay. Got it. Do you have a favorite tune? No, I like all, I like a lot of different music, but I don't have any absolute favorites. 
do you uh, when you board are you uh, are you an, are you a music guy while you're going down the hill? Sometimes, maybe fifty percent of the time. Yeah. Um, if I'm by myself, for sure. If I'm with other people, we quite often yeah, yeah. prefer to talk to the people. Yeah, of course. Yeah, got it. Now, do you still coach? By the way, do, are you still co- do you do any coaching around snowboard? Very little. The main coaching I'm doing is video based coaching. Sure. Teaching yeah. people, teaching for the videos. Yeah, but you don't get on the hill too much unless it's with friends, probably. Just don't have enough time. It's yeah, yeah. Too, too little amount of time to fit everything in. Yeah, got it. Yep. Do you have a favorite movie? Uh, I don't have a, an absolute favorite, but um, I think favorite genre probably comedy. Oh, you're a comedy guy. Yeah. Oh, I, interesting. You know, I like action as well. Yeah, comedy, yeah. action. I like things like, you know, things like The Hangover. I thought was hilarious. <laughs> it was so good. That was. I mean, that's a, that will go down as a classic. That's yeah. good. Things like um, a- Anchorman. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Burgundy, uh, yeah, yeah. Wedding crashes. Yeah, yeah. Those are all good. Those were great yeah. movies. Yeah, they're funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so Game Changers on Netflix. You watch now. Do you have a, a streaming? Do you have a, a series that you that you are interested in these days? I don't watch a ton of TV. I, very, yeah. I watch very little. But in saying that, um, we actually watched an episode last night of the new Jack Ryan that just started playing. Ah, there you go. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. It's uh, it's actually quite cool. I mean, it's a small series. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, and it's like an action action hero. Oh, it's like action, but real life, like military style action. It's quite cool. Jack Ryan. I'll watch for it. Yep. And Nev, what are you grateful for? Oof, man, everything. There's so much to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the first thing that pops to mind is family, my wife, my kids, my business. My real estate, my friends, my parents, man, is just is just endless list. This everything, everything is going very well on uh, in my whole life and lifestyle. So there's a lot to be grateful for. Today, I'm always grateful for my guests, but I'm you know certainly grateful Nev to have uh, got to know you a little bit over the past few years uh, to the degree that we've gotten to know each other. I'm really grateful that you joined me on the show today. I'm grateful for a, an amazing team. I got to tell you, we came off Acre, and uh, yeah, our, the the team was just absolutely outstanding this weekend. It was just unbelievable where we've come to and intentionally grown to as a team. We're very focused and intentional about it. So uh, Bonnie and Shongi and Jennifer, just the whole team was awesome. So I'm grateful for that today in a really stated way. So thank you, my friend. I look forward to uh, keeping up my and uh, keeping up with what you got going on. You're an interesting cat. I love it. Thank you. Cheers. You too. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.